This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. This podcast is sponsored by viewers like you on Patreon through PayPal donations with YouTube memberships and Twitch subscriptions. To support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash humanist report or become a member by clicking the join button underneath any one of our videos on YouTube. Members get early access to most videos and get to participate in monthly Zoom hangouts with Mike. Here's the biggest stories we talked about this week on The Humanist Report. Enjoy the show. It's a witch hunt because it, it, it makes no sense that in four months, four months, five months, I'm indicted. You have Joe Biden's entire family receiving deposits from nine, nine family members receiving money from foreign from foreign destinations into their bank accounts. It's been years of exposing. A lot of you here have reported on them, and yet no investigation is launched into them. I'm going to fight. I Well, and I'm just going, I'm getting back to that. I'm going to fight my battle. I'm going to deliver. I'm going to fight the witch hunt. I'm going to take care of clearing my name, and I look forward to doing that. That was just a small portion of Congressman George Santos' comments to the press after he was released from jail because, as you've probably heard by now, yes, George Santos was arrested today after he surrendered himself. Now, as you just saw, he is remaining defiant and calling this a witch hunt in true Trumpian form, which I think is pretty appropriate, honestly, considering that he's perhaps the only other politician to lie as much, if not more, than Donald Trump. So it makes sense that he would pursue the Trump uh, strategy of just calling this a witch hunt. But before I show you even more of the ridiculous claims that he made to the press after he was released, I want to get to the specific details about the 13-count federal indictment that was just unsealed. As AP explains, among the allegations, prosecutors say Santos induced supporters to donate to a company under the false pretense that the money would be used to support his campaign. Instead, they say he used the money for personal expenses, including designer clothes and his credit card and car payments. Santos also is accused of lying about his finances on congressional disclosure forms and applying for and receiving unemployment benefits while he was employed as regional director of an investment firm that the government shut down in 2021 over allegations that it was a Ponzi scheme. So there are multiple layers of criminality here, but I want to focus specifically on unemployment insurance fraud for a moment because in a statement released by the Eastern District of New York Attorney General's office, they allege that Santos collected $24,000 worth of unemployment insurance while he wasn't even eligible since he was employed at the time, making a salary of $120,000 per year. However, to make matters even more ridiculous, his place of employment was shut down for being a Ponzi scheme. So he was employed but applied for unemployment insurance while falsely claiming that he was eligible, but the investment firm that did employ him was shut down for allegedly being a Ponzi scheme. It's like you only hear about these types of things in movies. Like it feels like this man believed life was a video game and he was doing like some sort of a crime speed run trying to rack up the highest score imaginable by breaking as many laws as he could simultaneously. It's... It's cartoonishly corrupt here, and we're just talking about one of the alleged crimes here. But the irony here, and why I wanted to focus on this specifically, is because Republicans often complain about fraud with regard to our social safety net programs, such as food stamps, unemployment insurance, and they use the fraud as a justification to cut these programs. 
even if it's the case that like fraud is is minimal, right? Meanwhile, it's Republicans like George Santos abusing the system. Like he's the one who's committing the fraud you all are complaining about. The call is coming from inside the house, but yet they're still gonna point the finger at poor people. Now, furthermore, George Santos tweeted this about New York in 2021 from Miami Beach, mind you. Quote, crime is at an all-time high in New York. We need the state's elected officials to do their job and keep us safe. Nine of the recently released criminals from Rikers Island are behind bars three weeks after their politically charged release. We are in desperate need of law and order in New York. People are desperate for law and order, he claims, while being an alleged criminal that was just released because he's wealthy and he can afford to uh, pay the bond. And also, he's comically calling this a witch hunt. It's not a witch hunt to go after poor people, but it is a witch hunt to go after powerful politicians. It's just, it's so comically absurd. It's laughable. And I also find it funny that he used campaign funds to buy designer clothing, but yet he still looks like shit. What a fucking joke this man is. Now, he pled not guilty, and he was released on $500,000 bond after he was arraigned. But he made some other comments to the press that I have to talk about here, because he's totally convinced that everything is going to be just fine, and he's not resigning. In fact, he's still running for re-election. Are you planning on running for re-election? Yes, I am. Do you and think why should re anybody believe you now? Well, like I said, I will prove myself innocent, and then we'll move from there. And re-election is a very far time away from now. Yeah, so in case you were wondering if he he'd calls for uh his resignation there's your answer there but there's one more clip that i want to play for you because he also claims that he's probably going to chair a committee one day and his tone here is weird it seems like he's being sarcastic but also telling the truth at the same time like he actually believes this but let's listen well look the way i look at it i'll be a chairman of a committee in a couple of years if you just look at the standards of congress look at the senate so that video is wild to me because he's maintaining his innocence while simultaneously suggesting that he can still go on to have a successful career in Congress, even if he's convicted, since so many corrupt criminals already hold positions of power in Congress, which is kind of a tacit admission that he knows he's guilty. But nonetheless, I hate to say this, but um, he's not necessarily wrong, right? We have a criminal justice system that overwhelmingly favors the rich and powerful. Hell, we've effectively legalized bribes for members of Congress. So he's correct that there's a lot of corrupt criminals in Washington, D.C. The difference, however, between them and George Santos is that he was stupid enough to be a little bit more brazen about it. I mean, if he wanted to buy designer clothes, all that he had to do was uh, not directly break the law by using campaign finance funds to make these purchases. All he had to do was wait a couple of years, do some insider trading after he gets inside information that none of the public is privy to. And like the rest of the crooks in Congress, he would have gotten enough cash within years to buy a mansion, a yacht, and everything would have been peachy keen, but he just couldn't help himself. He's a pathological liar, and it's clear that you can see the effect that Trump is having on American political discourse. I mean, decades ago, could you imagine a politician not resigning after facing multiple scandals like this? But now in the Trump era, you can absorb almost any blow, assuming you're able to just wait it out and ignore the criticism. I mean, if Watergate happened today, I think that it wouldn't be that big of a scandal, comparatively speaking, given everything that we've seen, like an insurrection, Trump being found liable for defamation and sexual abuse. Like Watergate feels small in comparison to 2023 American politics, right? So it's just, it's truly insane that 
we have so much corruption and criminality in our system. And those politicians, oftentimes, they're rewarded for it. Trump, for example, is the, is the leading Republican candidate after trying to overthrow the fucking government. So the difference, though, between Trump and Santos, however, despite the similarities, is that Trump actually has the GOP's base on lock. They like him. George Santos, however, is not liked even by his own constituents. 78% of them want him to resign. But either way, I mean, he's convinced that he can weather the storm. So what else can we all do if national Republicans refuse to hold him accountable by expelling him or even removing him from committee assignments? So... Yeah, keep it up, George Santos. You're doing fucking great, dude. Um, at a minimum, at least, he's providing us with a lot of entertainment. And I do look forward to the biopic of George Santos that will inevitably be released in the future because that is going to be very, very entertaining to watch. A jury has found that Trump sexually abused and defamed E. Jean Carroll and awarded $5 million in damages. Carroll accused Trump of sexually assaulting her during a chance encounter at a Manhattan department store. He has denied her allegations, calling her a liar. Carroll sued him last year for battery and defamation. Now, to be clear, the jury found him liable for sexual abuse, not rape specifically, but this is still very significant. And what's arguably even more significant is the fact that they also found him liable for defamation as well, which is a very, very high bar to pass, which means that Carol proved malicious intent. And it's easy to see why her argument was so persuasive when you simply look at Trump's deposition. Remember, he didn't testify here in this case, but this is his deposition. I still don't know this woman. I think she's a whack job. I have no idea. I don't know anything about this woman other than what I read in stories and what I hear. Uh, I, I know I know nothing about her. Okay, well, I guess the distinction I'm trying to make, sir, is that when the allegation came out in 2019, you said you, you I think it's your testimony, that you had no idea who she was. So I, I still don't. Well, today you at least know that she's a plaintiff in a case suing you, correct? Oh, yes, that I know. Okay. No, but I know nothing about her. I think she's sick, mentally sick. This ridiculous situation that we're doing right now is a big fat hoax. She's a liar and she's a sick person, in my opinion, really sick something wrong with her. Another interesting portion of Trump's deposition was when he mistook Carol for his wife. Let's watch. You're saying Marla's in this photo? That's Marla, yeah, that's, that's my wife. Which woman are you pointing to? No. Here. Carol. Oh, is that? The oh, person okay. you just pointed to was oh, Eugene Carroll. Who is that? Who is this? Point, your wife. And the person, the woman on the right is your then wife, I don't Ivana? know, this was the picture. Ivana. I assume that's John Johnson, is that? That's Carol. Because it's very blurry. Yeah. So needless to say, Trump isn't necessarily the most uh, reliable person. I think that's probably the most charitable thing you can say about him. I mean, the man is a compulsive liar, so nothing that he says should be taken seriously. Now, we're going to get to some reactions from right-wing media that I find absolutely hysterical here in a moment. But first, if you're unfamiliar with her story, I do want to get into that because this is important. The details here matter. So she recounted the details during her testimony and claims that Trump ran into her while they were in a department store, as the article had previously uh, noted. And this was either in late 1995 or early 1996. She didn't have the specific year. She just had a little bit of a time frame. But that 
encounter is when that led to the sexual abuse here. As HuffPost explains, Carol said that Trump asked her for help in picking out a gift for a female friend and that she agreed because it sounded fun, but their friendly banter throughout the store gave way to Trump's alleged attack. In the lingerie section, Carol said Trump told her to try on a lace bodysuit and she replied by joking that he should try it on. Trump then allegedly trapped her in a dressing room, using his body weight to prevent her from escaping. The first push I thought he couldn't have met that. I thought he had made a mistake. I thought it was very strange, Carol testified per CNN. We had just been laughing 12, 15 seconds before, and here I am being pushed up against the wall. It just didn't make any sense, she said. Then he put his mouth against mine, and then I understood. She said that she struggled, but he had pulled down my tights, and his fingers went into my vagina, and it was extremely painful, Carol testified per Politico. Extremely painful because he put his hand inside me and curved his fingers. As I'm sitting here today, I can still feel it. Then he inserted his penis, Carol said, in court. She added that she had so much adrenaline running through her at the time that she was not sure whether she spoke, but was able to run away after a few minutes. Now, she told two of her friends when this happened, but she never spoke about this publicly until 2019. So she kept all of this buried inside for decades. And she's been carrying her, this around with her for all that time. And now to finally see her get justice that is really nice to see now we're talking about a jury of six men and three women and here's what i find absolutely stunning about this case one of the jurors was a bronx security guard who said that he primarily got his news from tim pool so if that individual found carol's testimony compelling needless to say it must have been a very compelling testimony now trump responded immediately after the verdict was announced on truth social and saying what we all expected him to say quote i have absolutely no idea who this woman is this verdict is a disgrace a continuation of the greatest witch hunt of all time sure so very predictable from donald trump now if you're wondering how right-wing media is reacting to this news well fox news is predictably trying to distract you i should say fox's guest in particular ronna mcdaniel while newsmax is going for a different type of strategy and i'm not even going to uh give you any more setup i just want you to watch because what we're going to see is maximum cope from newsmax here um but your reaction to this decision by this jury here in new york city with regard to the current lead in the republican party for the nomination well, we haven't heard from uh, President Trump yet, so I don't want to get ahead of him. We have heard him prior to the verdict saying this is untrue. I imagine he'll say the same thing. Uh, I, I do think the American people, though, are going to be focused on what's happening at our southern border, what's happening with inflation, what's happening in their lives uh, under the Biden administration. And that's where I think the focus is going to continue to be for people looking at uh, 2024 and ahead. This is an unspecified battery. And they're not using the word sexual assault. I don't see where the defamation is. Agreed. I don't see how you can rule, find defamation Agreed. unless you can find rape. I think Agreed. Uh, and Takapina is going to be appealing this thing uh, tomorrow. But again, uh, don't worry about the money, whether it's four dollars or five million. That means nothing to Trump. He did not want to be labeled a rapist. He is not a rapist. They came back with no. So trust me when I tell you this was a major win for Donald Trump today. They will appeal it. 
And I guarantee you when the appeal, some of these damages and that abuse charge will go away too. But the main thing was rate yes or no, came back no. That's a win for President Trump. Well, uh, it, as I'm reading this, there is uh, liability for sexually right. abusing and, aging care. And that's what they're saying, the abuse. They're saying rape, no abuse, uh, yes. And this is a major win for Trump. They actually said that with a straight face, mind you. Oh, well, thank God he's only liable for sexual abuse and defamation. Otherwise, this would be a loss for Trump. Do you hear yourselves? I mean, this is when sycophancy just completely takes over your brain and you refuse to accept any negative news about the person who you worship. But I mean, that's to be expected for hacks. Trump could be found guilty for committing like slaughter of like dozens of babies and they would still find some way to justify or rationalize why he's not just innocent, but actually he's the one who's being victimized here. So that's to be expected by these fools. But what matters at the end of the day is that Carol got justice and you really don't see that oftentimes in these cases. Let me put up a graphic here to show you why this is such a rare phenomenon here. Usually the individuals who carry out sexual assault get away with it. So to see someone so powerful actually be held accountable and be liable for defamation as well is I think really, really nice to see. So there you have it. This is a bit of breaking news. I'm sure that more details will emerge, more reactions will emerge, but just for right now, Trump is liable for sexual abuse and defamation, and I'm really happy for E.G. and Carol because I believe her, and apparently the jury did too. Anti-trans grifter Ali London appeared on a recent episode of the H3 podcast, and to say that it didn't go well for him would be quite the understatement because he was utterly buried in one of the best takedowns I've seen since Sam Cedar versus Jimmy Dore back in 2016. And I don't think that that's hyperbole. And for those of you who don't know, Ethan Klein is the host. So he very clearly did his research and he tried to disarm Ollie London. So he kind of felt more comfortable sharing his most egregious takes. So it started out very polite, very formal. And Ethan allowed Ollie to share his overall thesis, which is basically that the kids are being trans because they're being indoctrinated by adults. It's the same thing that you hear. He's not making an innovative argument. But as he begins to speak more and more, Ethan Klein dismantles every single point that he makes. And there's a couple of traps that Ethan Klein sets for Ollie, and he walks right into them. Now, before I share any clips with you, I've got a couple here. I do want to encourage you to watch the entirety of the debate. It's about two hours long. And I'd also say stay for the after part. Once Ollie left, they continued to dismantle him and respond to Ollie as he was rage tweeting about his appearance. It was just all around amazing. But without further ado, here's probably the most humiliating moment for Ollie London because they set him up by getting him to denounce groomers and any trans merchandise appealing to children. But um, they this you, Ollie, we'll, so, we'll put it that way, and it did not go well. You could tell that he was ambushed, didn't know how to react. Actually, since you bring it up, I have seen something troubling mm -hmm. from a, a trans person that I thought mm -hmm. was kind of gross. They were selling, it was like a kid's t-shirt with a trans person on it, and then they had like kid's toys with trans people on it, and it was kind of gross and groomy. Have you seen anything like that before? You know, I've seen T-shirts that the um, Lieutenant Governor of Minnesota wore, protect trans kids with a knife on it. You know, mm. things like that. I've seen T-shirts that says protect trans rights with AK-47s on it and stuff. And, you know, I don't think that's 
helpful messaging for and that's just trans activists by the way Ethan this is a small number of people and that's who I'm calling out that's who gays against groomers are calling out it's not the trans community as a whole specific trans activists who have highlighted um sorry have hijacked the trans movement so actually you know what's interesting Ollie if you go to your website right now your merch website I was actually talking about your merch you are actually selling kids lunch boxes with a picture of you depicted as a trans woman and you're selling no, it. No, that's not as a trans woman. Oh, that's it's not, not as a trans woman. That's just a K-pop picture of me. Okay, because this is you. I, I had a feeling you would say that because here it is you wearing that design. And it's pretty obvious to tell that this is depicting you. This is yes, from correct. just like a month ago. And this is when you were trans. Wearing my merch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So do you think it's appropriate to sell this to kids? Well, it's a lunchbox with a picture of a K-pop cartoon. There's well, it's you as a trans. It's you as a trans woman. It's me as a K-pop star. It's nothing to do with being trans or not. That's just a cartoon of me as a K-pop star. So it's not. But at the that's not inappropriate. Right, but at the time you were a trans woman. <laughs> Correct. At the time I was a trans woman, but that so is nothing inappropriate. So it's you with as that. a trans woman. That I was a trans woman at the time. That picture does not depict me as a trans woman. It depicts me. As a K-pop star, but I find that interesting that you're willing to uh, make that separation when you're making such general claims about uh, groomers and stuff. Because to me, by your own definition, this is pretty groomy. And even if you go, and this is it's all, an on, well, hold on, Ollie, hold on, picture. one sec. Even if you go on your website right now, you're selling the same graphic, un Ollie London, Ollie Merch Squad, as you depicted as a trans woman. And if you look at the available sizes, it's just kids. Three to four? Do you think it's appropriate for a three to four-year-old to buy this shirt? Yeah, of course. Any K-pop fan, if they want to buy my merch, they're absolutely entitled to. There's nothing inappropriate with that merch at all. It's <laughs> that a is a trans music. woman, Ollie. You're not understanding You're your own logic. You're clutching at straws. How am That's I? A, you a were a okay, hold on. Let's, let's follow this through. You were a trans woman when you made this. There's a picture mm -hmm. of you wearing it. It's obviously yeah, you correct. as a trans woman. Here's you as a trans woman. And here's you, as a trans woman, on the shirt, on a kid's shirt. How am I clutching at straws? Well, you're clutching at straws. It's an innocent cartoon. It doesn't say anything about indoctrination. The tongue children. is somewhat sexual. How the tongue is out like that, it's a little disturbing. I'm, Ethan, come on, I'm doing a K-pop pose. That's, you're just clutching at straws. No, why is the tongue out? I find that a little uh, provocative. That was incredible. They're grooming kids, but uh, I'm not grooming kids because I'm being depicted as a K-pop star, not a trans woman. But Ollie, you're not a K-pop star. You were, however, a trans woman, and that merch was directly marketed to kids. But by his own definition, that doesn't make him a groomer, but LGBTQ plus people who sell like rainbow merchandise to children or drag queens who read to children, that's grooming, but your merch, that's not grooming. Unbelievable. Now, that lunchbox comes up again and again and again if you watch the full interview. And as you're going to see, Ollie gets increasingly defensive, doesn't know how to respond. And whenever he tries to bring up this indoctrination or grooming, Ethan throws that in his face. It was just truly incredible to watch because he had no way of responding to it. And it gets even better. But I want to move on from the lunchbox thing because there is more here that was really, really good. So Ollie London, presumably, he hasn't been on many shows where his talking points were challenged. 
but they were in this clip and ollie ended up doing a complete 180 and it was just incredible to watch. So basically, he cites a study. Ethan pulls up the study on the spot, shows him how he's misrepresenting the findings of the study. And then Ollie London subsequently claims that he doesn't actually trust studies when Ethan cites a study that Ollie London doesn't like, that doesn't suit his narrative. And the way that Ethan throws that in his face is very masterful. So let's watch. There's a lot of studies. There was a study in Finland by the top transgender um, clinic that um, was basically transitioning a lot of kids. And they said around, I think it's around 45% of the kids had experienced severe bullying. So that led to their gender dysphoria. Let's see here. Uh, I have that theory you're citing in front of me. Uh, Ta Tampere University, Finland, yeah. Here it is. Let's read the conclusion. It's a, Here, there's the abstract and everything. Let's see. The conclusion says gender identity, especially non-binary identity, is associated with both being bullied and perpetrating bullying, even uh, when a range of variables, including internal stress and involvement in bullying and the opposite role are taken into account. This suggests that bullying during adolescence may serve as a mechanism of maintaining heteronormality, which I think what that means is that the bullying uh, actually results in people rejecting their transness in favor of hetero hetero normality i think i'm in, that's am i that's so so it seems to be saying the opposite actually of what you've claimed it said you don't you don't hear the cases of the detransitions are you the aware ollie that 99 percent of kids that transition do not regret it no i don't support that statistic i think it's okay. wrong because these from, from what from what authority do you dis disprove that statistic well, the, look, these clinics make these studies. They don't even do follow-up studies. There's an example of a Do you not trust studies? Because you just told me to read one. I don't, I, I don't trust uh, studies. Why? Even if 27, you're 27, 27 studies. studies. Then why did you tell me to read this one, Ollie? You use studies <laughs> when it's convenient for you, but you don't when it, when it goes against your thesis. I don't understand your consistency with studies. Do we like them or no? Ethan Klein. Debate, bro. It's official. That was remarkable. And that really was just a microcosm of the entire interview because Ollie London would make a claim and then Ethan Klein would debunk it with facts and logic, oftentimes on the spot. And Ollie just had no room to obfuscate. See, the thing about these anti trans grifters is that they try to gish gallop and throw a bunch of shit against the wall to see what sticks. But Ethan Klein would stop him fact check him or just tell him on the spot i know what study you're referencing i know what news article you're referencing that's bullshit here's why and ollie london couldn't get any of his talking points to stick because ethan klein was on him it was incredible so one thing that ethan tried to do that he wasn't successful at because ollie london is at least savvy enough to like give himself some plausible deniability is ethan tried to pin him down on admitting that banning gender affirming care for minors can be a death sentence because it leads to increased suicidal ideation but ollie london refused to admit that that was basically his de facto position so we're gonna watch how ethan handled that and as you're going to see ollie london had no idea how to respond so he just straight up shut down and there was this long pause between the both of them that was very uncomfortable but incredible to watch you're denying them life-saving gender affirming care no i'm saying give the kids no, mental health support yeah you're saying you're saying use this avenue that doesn't work that's not going to work to prevent you from killing yourself you're telling them right. you cannot have the antidote that's going to save your life you can only do the therapy that i approve of 
you can only do the therapy that I say is okay for you, Ollie. You went through this whole gender transition. Why do you deny people the journey that you yourself had? Because I had that journey as an adult, and even though I regret it, I was an adult. But kids cannot consent, so I'll say it again. Kids, kids can't not consent any to anything. Kids can't consent to yes. anything. But Ethan, this is irreversible. We're not just no. It's about not. Something. Sometimes it's not. Most of the times, it is reversible. And no, and when and you... when it's not reversible, it's done under extreme care, under doctor supervision. You want this kid to kill themselves, Ollie? How do you live with that? How do you Ethan, betray please. the community, the trans community that you're a part of? You sold yourself out for some attention and some money, and you're you're. You are dooming kids to kill themselves. How do you live with that? Before it was Either. cute, silly stuff about transracial and PTS and pop stuff. And it was just silly nonsense about uh, ra little racist stuff about Korean people having tiny penises. But now you're, you're actually delving into transphobic, violent transphobia that is going to result in kids dying. You're going to have to reckon with that, Ollie. No, absolutely not. You're trying to paint me out as saying I'm this. Only I'm only saying say what you said. No, Ethan, kids I'm not can't saying consent that. to anything. Kids, kids can't, cannot consent to irreversible hormones surgeries, Ethan. Okay, a kid they needs to get his leg removed because he has leg cancer. Should he be able to get the, the leg removed? Well, if he has a cancer, yes. But okay, so what's the fucking difference? He can't consent to have his leg removed. That's irreversible. They made $2.2 billion uh, transitioning kids last year. So it's a multi-billion dollar industry with a lot of power. So people make kids. so people make money from it. So therefore, we shouldn't let kids save them their lives? No, you can provide kids. I'm, I'm not going to keep going on about this same thing. You can provide kids with the right mental health support that doesn't include putting them on harmful hormones that can cause irreversible issues. And when they You're right. Adults, we should make it free. <laughs> You're right. People shouldn't be charged for it. No, no. No, I'm just not going to keep going on about the same thing, Ethan. I'm good. I need to go anyway. It's quite late. That line about free healthcare was just, ah, that was the cherry on top for me. Now, Ethan, during that clip that we just watched, uh, he made a point about Ollie London selling out his own community for attention. And I want to actually play the clip uh, because it came up before that, right, where he makes this point, and he made a very, very strong argument as to how this is actually nothing more than a grift for Ollie London, especially considering how quick the turnaround was. So let's watch that. I don't want to diagnose you. I'm not a psychiatrist. But there is some craving for attention, clearly, right, good or bad. I mean, you recent, you said about, like, Korean, you said your pronouns were core, Ian, you know, you said you were going to get a, your penis uh, size reduced so that you could look more, uh, you could be a more authentic Korean. I mean, these are not serious things. You seem to be a provocateur. Is it possible that you are participating in this right wing grift because one, it's making you a lot of money and two, it's getting you a lot of attention. Is that possible that you actually don't care and that your your beliefs are empty. Is that possible? No, absolutely not. So when I struggled with my identity for years, I generally was struggling, and I was lashing out at bullies. <laughs> and the more the more I would get bullied online by YouTubers and people on TikTok, the more I would act crazy because I was trying to feel validated and loved. And you know, it was very well, the unhealthy. Con the conservative movement that. has offered you quite a uh, quite an open hand. Uh, they're very glad to be using you as a mouthpiece against trans people. So it must feel good 
to be being accepted from somebody, even if it is uh, at the detriment of many people who are at risk, trans people. It must feel nice no, to have people supporting you. I want to show you this clip from an interview from Piers Morgan, okay? Lots of pictures here of, of, of you as a, as yes. a woman. So how, how long Very ago different. was that? Was that quite recently? That was actually at London Fashion Week, so that was literally a month ago, so kind of a drastic change. So you went from a month, you went from trans woman at Fashion Week, a month later to being on Piers Morgan denouncing the trans movement. Uh, when you said, get off, uh, take your time and talk and figure out who you are, you, that all happened within a month. Yeah, that right there tells you everything you need to know. Ethan is right. Ollie London is so desperate for attention that he is willing to do anything to get it, even if it means throwing his own community under the bus. See, he carved out this niche for himself and it gave him exponentially more attention. Nobody's denying that this grift has been lucrative for him. It's been very successful. But to go from being trans to anti-trans within a month and now you're publishing a book less than a year later, it all feels very inauthentic. In fact, I'd argue it's as fake as Ollie London's Botox-filled face. Now, knowing he was thoroughly exposed, Ollie London immediately complained about Ethan on Twitter, writing, Tonight, I did an interview on the Far Left H3 podcast because I believe in the importance of educating people about what is going on in regards to the gender-affirming care industry, even if they are pro-gender-affirming care. Out of all the interviews I have ever done, this was the rudest and most unprofessional person I have ever spoken to. The whole time I was interrupted while the host tried to twist my words into my mouth, saying that because I'm against children being medically transitioned, that I support child suicide for not affirming their gender identity and blaming me for children killing themselves, and then ending the interview calling me a demon, which is true by the way, and it was based, absolutely below the belt interviewer who desperately tried to twist my words for clickbait and views. I believe in the importance of respecting others despite their opinions and believe in the importance of having sensible and respectful debate, but sadly this person has no idea what respect really means. And that, my friends, is what coping sounds like. And as you saw, he was ratioed by Ethan Klein. And it was just another L that Ollie London took. But first of all, it is comical to describe Ethan as far left. He's center left at best. Second of all, this clown talks about respect when he spends all day harassing people on Twitter like Dylan Mulvaney, despite the fact that he claimed multiple times during his appearance on H3 that he doesn't have a problem with trans adults, but yet he sure is obsessed with people like Dylan Mulvaney who seem a lot happier than he is. You're a huckster, Ollie, and you're not mad because Ethan Klein didn't respect you because you've shown to be a disrespectful cunt yourself. You're mad because Ethan Klein blew up your grift. Your grift imploded live in 4k and you were exposed for the fraud that you really are for the charlatan that you really are and you're mad because now we have this podcast to point to that dismantled every single one of the lies that you've been telling for the past couple of months and you hate that because you haven't been called on your bullshit until now and it doesn't feel good it doesn't feel good to be destroyed by facts and logic and you're currently coping and seething but keep coping and seething because you're a fraud and everyone is laughing at you the left is laughing at you to your face and the right is laughing at you behind your back so they're going to use you as long as you are uh, useful perhaps until you move on to the next phase of your grift where you denounce the right and write a book about how you were co-opted by the right and became a transphobe but now you've forgiven yourself but at the end of the day 
everyone knows that you just want attention and nothing else, which is a reason for us to disregard every single word that ever comes out of your mouth again. So cope and seethe because you lost here. So just take the L and shut the fuck up. So as you all know, over the course of the last week, just absolutely horrific tragedies have dominated the news. And even though violence is fairly common in America, it does feel like things are getting measurably worse. And I'll tell you why that's the case. So I do wanna focus on a couple of different stories and tell you why these things are happening, in my opinion, and why they are going to continue to happen, unfortunately. Now, first and foremost, as you all know, there was another mass shooting over the weekend, which is no surprise to anyone who's been paying attention. And this time it took place at a mall in Allen, Texas, where a gunman killed eight people and wounded seven before he was fatally shot by police. Now, as the Washington Post explains, the assailant used an AR-15 style weapon and was wearing tactical gear, President Biden said on Sunday. In addition to the weapons found on his body, investigators found five additional guns inside his car nearby, said the people familiar with the investigation. Now, additionally, the shooter was reportedly a neo-Nazi, a fact discovered about him by Eric Toller of Bellingcat. And there were lots of posts about Nazis from this individual. This is a photograph of him in a Nazi uniform, presumably. He had Nazi tattoos. On top of that, he was a fan of far-right figures like Tim Pool and Libs of TikTok. And additionally, NBC News reports that he made anti-Semitic, racist, and misogynistic posts on social media and referenced white supremacist Nick Fuentes, who I'm assuming he was also a fan of. And furthermore, he indicated that he was planning this attack. As NBC News explains, in the weeks before the attack, the shooter posted more than two dozen photos of Allen Premium outlet small where the mass shooting occurred on Saturday afternoon and surrounding areas including several screenshots of Google location information seemingly monitoring the mall at its busiest times. The shooter also posted a series of links to other sites including one of a YouTube account with one video posted the day of the shooting. In the video he removes a scream mask and says not quite what you were expecting huh? Now that last line was likely a reference to the fact that the shooter here is not white, but he's still a white supremacist. Now, as odd as that sounds, white supremacist Hispanics are actually on the rise. And Nick Fuentes, for example, this is somebody whose father is half Mexican. Enrique Tarrio of the Proud Boys is a Cuban American. So yes, non-white people can become radicalized by white supremacist views as well. And I do think that this is an important point because far-right propagandists will feign ignorance and claim that the shooter wasn't actually influenced by white supremacy because they they don't want the fingers pointed at them since they use this sort of extremist rhetoric but make no mistake about it the shooter was a white supremacist and his motivations were very clear and this ideology once again cost people their lives his victims include this korean american family and all of them except for the five-year-old in the front they were murdered at this mall. Thankfully, that five-year-old survived but he's been hospitalized and his entire family has been wiped out. His life is never gonna be the same again. This is just utterly horrific. Now, one of the first responders spoke to CNN and I'm not entirely sure if he's referencing that family, but he described what he saw here and it is genuinely gut-wrenching and almost unbearable to listen to, but I do think that what he says here is important. So let's hear him. As I understand it, you found a child alive 
with a mother dead protecting that child. Is that right? Yes, I, yes, I did. It, it, it's pretty horrific what I saw. Um, I didn't go with the intent of being a first responder or or helping anybody. I went to find uh, my, my son. I was surprised when I drove into the mall that uh, it was um, the parking lot was empty. People were still sheltering in their cars. People were running away from the mall. Uh, and there was one man at the scene that had a connection to 911, and he was having trouble describing to them where he was at and what he was doing. So I just kind of jumped in there, gave some directions on where the shooter went. Uh, he gave me a description, and then I started trying to take care of victims. And sadly, the first individual I went to was, uh, and I don't want to be too graphic, but she was, uh, she was not able to be saved. I couldn't save the second guy. The third guy actually expired while I was trying to do chest compressions. Uh. The child... The child came out from under what I believe was the mother. It might have been a relative. I, I don't know how the relation is, but was started to wander around asking for help, saying, Mom, Mom, Mama, Mama. So I just scooped the child up and took him about 15 feet away so he, she or she couldn't see what was going on. I, there was so much blood on the child, I couldn't tell the sex. I just asked, are you okay? Checked for wounds. I, the first Allen police officer pulled up, and he said, Good God Almighty. I said, take the child, is he hurt? I said, I don't care if he's hurt or not, take him because he doesn't need to be here. So thankfully the Allen Police Department, this was not a Uvalde situation. The first responders in Allen, Texas, the paramedics, the police officers are truly the heroes. Yeah. The picture that he paints is, I, mean, I don't even know what words to use. Like it feels unreal, but it's very real. And this wasn't something that took place in a movie. This was real life. And the sad part is that this is a pretty common phenomenon here in the United States exclusively, but nowhere else. And you already know what I'm going to say, right? It's the guns. We don't need to need to have these disingenuous conversations about it being video games or porn or a lack of prayer in schools. It's the guns. I've said this a thousand times. We need moderate gun control. We don't have to confiscate guns from people. Right? We don't have to ban guns. We need moderate common sense gun control. But I'm not going to say that again because I already said it. We already know the solution. But don't take it from me. Take it from the first responder who we just heard from because on MSNBC, he was very clear that even though he's a gun owner himself, we can do very simple things and make a huge difference. I don't know what the gunman's problem was. I don't know his motive. But it wasn't mental health that killed these people. It was an automatic rifle with bullets. That's what killed them. I'm a gun lover. I have guns. I'm a former police officer. I'm a former Army officer. But these M4s, M AR-15s, they've got to get off the streets, or this is going to keep happening. And we've got to stop that at some point. It could be you. It could be your family member. I never imagined it would be me. I never imagined it would happen in my community. But it did. And we've got to stop this type of carnage. And all the politicians are going to make statements. They're going to offer prayers and condolences. Prayers and condolences won't bring these people back. We need some action in our legislatures at the federal and state level for better gun control. And I'm saying that as somebody who loves guns. Yeah. So this isn't some libtard who wants to confiscate your guns. He's saying we need basic common sense gun reform. And I just want to show you this chart here where mass shootings exploded after the assault weapons ban expired. I mean, what we're looking at here is cause and effect, right? Now, it is true that banning assault weapons and high-capacity magazines, they're not going to end violence in the United States, but it will reduce 
gun violence and it could minimize the number of mass shootings and when they do occur it could make them less bloody i mean there are other countries like australia who they took action after just one mass shooting and they haven't had another one since now people will lie and claim that australia banned guns they did not ban guns they just implemented common sense gun reform and the government introduced a gun buyback program so that way, if you want to turn in your guns to the government, they will pay you for it. It's a choice that they're giving you. But of course, there are people in this country, namely policymakers, who have decided that the bloodshed is worthwhile to keep gun anarchy going in this country. Now, of course, that's not going to stop bad people from doing bad things because America is a country that is plagued by violence. But we can take action here and reduce gun violence. But We've made the policy decision, or I should say Republicans have made the policy decision to allow this to continue to happen. Now, still, as I said, this is a violent country and violence is getting worse. And even if we take action with regard to guns, bad people are still going to do terrible things. For example, as CBS News explains, a driver ran into pedestrians who were standing at a bus stop outside a migrant shelter in South Texas on Sunday, killing at least eight people in an incident that police are investigating as possibly intentional, authorities said. Another 10 were injured, according to Brownsville police. Police did not share detailed information about the victims, but police chief Felix Sacida told reporters that all of them were men and several were originally from Venezuela. The chief declined to answer reporters' questions about a possible motive for the driver, adding that they have not yet determined if the crash was intentional. He said witness accounts suggesting that Alvarez, the uh, killer here in the car, was cursing at the pedestrians whom he struck and saying that they were invaders were unconfirmed. Now, the killer here is being charged with eight counts of manslaughter and ten counts of assault with a deadly weapon. And the lingering question is... Did he just lose control or was this intentional? Did he target these asylum seekers? Now, we don't know for sure if they're asylum seekers, but they were outside of a shelter for migrants. This was the Ozeman Center that's near the bus, bus stop where they were uh, killed. And what Mirna Artiega says, this is the manager of the shelter who sees dozens of migrants per day. We're talking over a hundred well here's what she said about this these are her words quote it wasn't an accident point blank now again this isn't confirmed yet but this is somebody who runs a shelter for asylum seeking migrants in a border town she's probably seen the vitriol firsthand and while we still don't know all the details i don't think that it is absurd to think that this person especially given the reports about him yelling about invaders decided to take it upon himself to kill people who he thought was invading the odds of this being a coincidence just seem really low especially if you watch the video and i did watch the video and i'm not going to play that but you can see that he was driving straight towards them. It was a straight line. It wasn't like he was driving and then veered off and swerved. He was headed straight towards them. Now, I'm sharing this story not to make the point that, oh, well, you know, if guns weren't here, then white supremacists and bad people would find other ways to inflict mass death on people. I think that there is 
an underlying common denominator here with all of these stories. And another one that I want to talk about, the final story here, it took place last week and it involves Jordan Neely, who, as you all know, was killed on a subway last week in New York. Now, it wasn't surprising to see the response from right-wingers, but it was still very jar jarring. And I didn't get to talk about this yet. We addressed this on the leftist mafia when Lance debated Tim Pool about this, but to actually see conservatives explicitly defend David Penny, the 24-year-old Marine veteran who murdered Neely. I mean, they're just getting so brazen. I'm talking about people like Tim Pohl, Matt Walsh. They're openly advocating for vigilante killings of people who they deem to be um, bad people. Now, the individual who uh, killed, or I should say murdered Neely, was David Penny. He kept him in a chokehold for 15 minutes, and... I'm going to use the word murdered here specifically because if you're putting someone in a chokehold for that long, I think it's pretty obvious that the intent is to kill. Furthermore, there's no evidence that Neely assaulted anyone. One man unilaterally decided that death was the punishment for aggressive speech. And because Neely was a little bit too aggressive, well, one man decided that that was cause to just take his life. As NBC News reports, Juan Alberto Vasquez, the witness who took the cell phone footage, told NBC New York that Neely got on the train and began to say a somewhat aggressive speech, saying he was hungry, he was thirsty, that he didn't care about anything, he didn't care about going to jail, he didn't care that he gets a big life sentence. Now listen, growing up, I've been around people who are very clearly having a mental health crisis. I've been around people who were high and tweaking. My family was poor and we were at a food bank one day and I remember a man pulled out a knife randomly. All of these instances, they're unsettling, right? But not once did I ever think, oh my God, that person needs to die right now. But that's what happened to Jordan Neely. This is an unhoused man. This was an unhoused man who was experiencing a mental health crisis, obviously. But one man decided that man needs to die. The penalty for aggressive speech was death. And police decided to just let Penny go. He killed a man. And they let him go. They didn't even arrest him. Now, the tough on crime people argue that his death was his own fault because, I mean, everyone is just sick of crime in America. You know, even though crime is lower, well, since the news talks about it and they've elevated the salience of this, well, Americans are just tired of crime. So, yeah. Maybe don't do crime. But the irony is that they don't realize that Neely wasn't the criminal here in this instance. The assassin was. And in a statement released from his attorneys, Daniel Penny admits that Neely didn't actually harm anyone. They admit he was, quote, aggressively threatening people, but never actually accused Neely of physically harming anyone. And they also highlight his, quote, documented history of violent and erratic behavior. And the media also highlighted 40 different arrests. But we need to be very clear here. All of this is completely irrelevant. It's not an indictment on Neely. Rather, it's an indictment on the system that couldn't care less about unhoused people or people with mental health crises. But the reason why they bring this up and the reason why Penny's lawyers brought that up in particular was to smear the victim, smear the person whose life their client took. And they're trying to justify Neely's death, make it seem as if this white dude was justified in killing this black man on the subway who didn't attack anyone. Do you think that the killer here 
Daniel Penny did a background check on Jordan Neely while he was using, quote, aggressive speech? Of course not. The only relevant details here are what Neely was doing in that situation, and there's been zero evidence that he posed a physical threat to anyone. And this is what Neely's family pointed out as well in a response to that statement saying, quote, Daniel Penny's press release is not an apology nor an expression of regret. It is a character assassination and a clear example of why he believed he was entitled to take Jordan's life. In the first paragraph, he talks about how good he is. And in the next paragraph, he talks about how bad Jordan was in an effort to convince us Jordan's life was worthless. The truth is, he knew nothing about Jordan's history when he intentionally wrapped his arms around Jordan's neck and squeezed and kept squeezing. In the last paragraph, Daniel Penny suggests that the general public has shown indifference for people like Jordan, but that term is more appropriately used to describe himself. It is clear he is the one who acted with indifference, both at the time he killed Jordan and now in this first public message. He never attempted to help him at all. In short, his actions on the train and now his words show why he needs to be in prison. So there you have it. I don't think I could have put it better myself. What they said here was spot on. Now, in conclusion, I wanted to talk about all of these stories because I think that they're related. They're related tangentially, but they're still related nonetheless. The reason why we're seeing these types of stories more frequently is because, unfortunately, we are now witnessing the breakdown of society. And as government fails to address certain crises like homelessness, mental illness, and gun violence, these things are going to continue to happen, and it's only going to get worse. And as violence proliferates, citizens will become increasingly polarized. Many will become radicalized, and they'll root for vigilante justice after feeling like the state just isn't meeting the needs of citizens. But while the right digs their feet in and insists that the uh, state supplies more police officers uh, you know, in these situations and gets tougher on crime, the left, once again, is going to root for the state to address the root causes like poverty and a lack of a social safety net, a lack of health care and mental health care. The problem is that the right in this instance, in all of these instances, they're always going to get what they want because of the very nature of our system. We are living in a late stage capitalist system and every single aspect of our society has been commodified. The state is literally incapable of addressing these root causes because all of these problems have been outsourced to private institutions. All of the things that the state previously had the responsibility of addressing, these are now the jobs of private institutions. The state no longer handles mental health. Private clinics do. The state isn't going to opt for immigration reform because it's more profitable to treat migrants like slaves. The state doesn't meet our most basic needs because capitalism necessitates the prioritization of profits over the well-being of human beings. And as a result, all politicians can do is opt for short-term solutions like more police, more laws to criminalize homelessness and mental health crises. And it's not like that is tantamount to them putting a band-aid over an axe wound because all of these solutions are only making matters worse. So in short, our institutions have failed us and the state has been incapacitated by late stage capitalism. And as a result of this, society is starting to break down because the state cannot function because every single government responsibility has been outsourced. Every element of society has become commodified. So this isn't the most rosy conclusion, but I'm not going to lie to you and pretend like things are going to get better 
because the truth is that until we can get non-corrupted anti-capitalist politicians in power to address the root causes specifically here, all of these crises that we're witnessing, they're going to continue and they're going to get worse. Because again, you can't just apply solutions that are inappropriate to problems and then expect them to go away. All of these problems have root causes, root causes that are being ignored, root causes that aren't being discussed because media is obfuscating, specifically right-wing media with regard to gun violence, all media with regard to crime and homelessness and mental health crises. So these problems are going to get worse, and I can't tell you that it's going to get better but step number one is understanding why these problems are happening in the first place if we want to correct them and apply actual solutions. So I'll leave that there. It's really disgusting to see these stories constantly, but I think that a lot of us aren't surprised by this because this is American life. It's the reality of America in 2023, and I don't expect it to change anytime soon. Want more? Visit humanistreport.com for links to our full catalog of videos on YouTube means tv and facebook you can also find audio versions of the show on spotify apple podcasts soundcloud iHeartRadio, and other major podcast platforms and before you go consider supporting the show on patreon or through youtube memberships you get early access to most videos invites to monthly live chats with mike and you'll be thanked by name at the start of the next episode there are other ways to support the show you can like, subscribe, turn on notifications, and share our content on social media. Thank you for watching.